Hi, and welcome to episode 26 of the Education Marketer Podcast. As initial hype around ChatGPT starts to clear, it's making way for genuine questions around copyright, marketing operations, and how education marketers should be using this technology at scale. Today, a special episode. I'm joined by Bart Kaler, Caroline Dunn, Troy Singer, and Chris Raposo to cover the gambit of ChatGPT and why this technology should be front and center of your marketing ops in 2023. This episode comes courtesy of Hannon Hill. Let's get on with the show. I think we're going to pose this to Kyle. So Kyle, with the lowered entry barrier for content creators and the influx of content due to ChatGPT, how can higher ed marketers distinguish and stand out with their content among all this commoditization? It's, it's a fascinating concept, isn't it? Right. Um, I've been a content marketer for most of my professional career. Um, got about a decade's experience in, in higher ed marketing and, um, ChatGPT essentially levels that playing field, right? And in higher ed, we often refer to content as like this, this asset, um, a store of value. We want to see how it's performing. We want to see how it contributes to our, our marketing activity. When actually if suddenly everything, everyone can create content, that specialty of being a creator, it kind of goes down and the value of content overall decreases. So, I mean, really in this space, what makes us different in the future won't be the content we publish. It might be who actually publishes it. So for schools, one thing they probably need to be thinking about is yes, using these, these, um, AI generative AI tools to get that scale and get that efficiency and know, being able to create a lot of content. Um, but they also need to be thinking about thought leadership, who's publishing it, who are these stars in the faculty, you know, stars in their own immediate professional staff, who are they building up to have that profile? So when that content is published, uh, it is read. So you could say that, you know, content used to be this asset and store value, but now the real value is in the audience that you attract and audiences are attracted to people. Uh, rather than the the commodity of of content, so I think these are things that we need to be on the lookout for because typically, um, and I know you will work in these these higher ed environments. There's so much emphasis placed on more, more, more content, but there's relatively little thought given to audience building and how that adds to recruitment pipeline overall. So the, the me as a content marketer, this is a huge red flag and I'm acutely aware of the, the impact it could have for universities further down the road. I'll just kind of add end on that because one of the things that I think we need to keep in mind is the reason that content ends up being commoditized is because there is uh, very little thought or refinement of what comes out of a, an artificial intelligence engine. So using ChatGPT and just saying, write a blog post about, you know, math programs and the importance of going to, you know, getting an actuarial degree. Well, you're going to get commoditized content because it's just going to go out and it's going to harvest commoditized content and, yeah. and pull it together. I think the secrets end up being in the fact that you really need to use this as a tool and yeah. you need to use it as, and, and learn how to prompt and learn how to be specific on your prompts and then recognize that it's a draft. So start with the fact that, okay, this is a draft. This is like, I ask a junior copywriter to give me a draft of something and I've, I've detailed out exactly what I want that to be, you know, instead of being, uh, you know, someone on staff, it's actually, you know, artificial intelligence. And so it's going to give me a, it's going to give me a, a draft that I can work with. Mm. And, 
And I might throw the draft out and say, no, this is nowhere near what I want. That's, that's kind of the power of using this as a tool and, and starting to use it as that. And so I think that's one of the ways that we're going to avoid the commoditization as we really see it as a tool, as opposed to an answer for, hey, I'm, I want to I pump out 100 articles a day. So I'm just going to press a button and do that. That's going to be, that's not going to work. And that's what's going to drive the commoditization of all of this. I agree. Um, we've seen tools like this and these approaches starting to be integrated into platforms like LinkedIn, haven't we? Um, yeah. So LinkedIn's got a new uh, tool available now that when you open the composer, uh, it's asking some users off the bat, do you want to use AI? And if anything, that generates the sort of commoditization that we're talking about here. So your your point there about using it as a draft is just bang on. If you just go for the, the straight result that comes out of these things with no communication, no conversation, no conversion with the, the chat bot, your output is just going to be mediocre at best. And you're going to get penalized as well. I mean, hopefully, gonna, yes. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> going to be there's going to be tools that are going to recognize it because Bing, Google, as they get smarter, search engines are going to, you know, they're going to tag these and they're going to push them down because they recognize them as, as uh, generative content. And so Again, it has to come back to it's a tool. Yeah, and I agree. I wanted to chime in as well. Um, if since there's so much content out there, you you want to um, focus on quality over quantity at this time, right? And then utilize your subject matter experts that are walking the halls at your institutions. You have PhD professors, you have graduate students that know a particular topic so well, you know, better than anybody else out there. And then if you focus on creating high quality, well-researched, accessible content, accessibility is key in this as well to set your work apart from the purely generated AI generated content. Um, and like Bart said, you never want to take the first draft that AI spits out, JetGPT spits out for you, right? Um, but I wouldn't, I want to encourage everybody not to see JetGPT and AI as a threat, but rather as a tool to help you with your content creation, expedite the writing process. And then just also make sure you know your audience and what speaks to them and then personalize that content that comes out of that engine to um, speak directly to your uh, key audiences and then be the leader in your industry, thought leaders, leadership is big, and then create authentic, well-researched content your audience craves and needs from you. And if you do that, you'll inevitably build trust with your followers and they will spread the word for you as well. Um, I want to rip off what just Chris just said. That was a really good point. Um, so my challenge in working with professors from universities is the way that they write, the way that they speak is in that very um, methodical format that you write uh, research papers about. And it's not really something that the average Joe is going to understand. So why not take your original writing in the very, you know, very bland way you're going to write it and run it through ChatGPT and say, hey, make this available for the masses. Let's have, you know, I want to take what I know and turn that into, hey, ChatGPT, help me uh, turn that into something that's useful for the everyday person. So it's not just about gener generating original content or unoriginal content, really, is I think what we're trying to say here. Um, it's about that thought leadership, that riffing off of Kyle and Bart as well. It's about that thought leadership. And at your university, you definitely have that thought leadership, but sometimes it's just hard to get that message out in a way that somebody else can understand who doesn't have a PhD in that topic. Mm. 
I mean, we'll one probably tap on this in momentarily, but you, you can tell ChatGPT, like you said, like which audience you, you want it to write for, what tone and, you know, what is your, your typical customer look like? And it, it considers all of these things and it, it will adjust the output as a result. It's, it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah. And I would just add too, I, we probably should have done this at the very beginning, but if you haven't used ChatGPT and you're on this, you know, the best way to do it is to go to open uh, chat.openai.com and you can si sign up for a free account just to play with it. I would encourage you if you haven't done that to play with it, um, you know, that you can go to, you know, the $20 a month and do the, the chat GPT four and go a little bit deeper on that. But the best way to learn all of this is to actually just play with it and discover it. That's, that's what we're all doing. I mean, you know, I, I think it's funny that, you know, we're participating in a, in a panel here as some kind of experts when, all, all we're all doing is figuring it out. So, we just play with it every day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it sounds like that the distinction is going to still be with the author in the cleverness they're able to utilize their prompts. And it's really up to them to press enter or to put it up onto the web as a final product. So that's the way that we can overcome the commoditization. Love it. And thank you. So... When marketers usually look at chat GPT and AI, I think it's more for content and it's more for writing creatively. But Caroline would like to know, since I consider you the brainiac, no offense to the gentleman, but you are an engineer and you utilize this with research. So would love to know some ways that you have used or ways that you've heard others have used AI and chat GPT for research. Thank you. Great question. I'm trying to write content for different industries. So education is one of those industries. Well, um, who's going to let me into school and just let me look through their stuff? Nobody. I'm trying to write content for hospitals. Nobody's going to let me into their hospital. Okay. Um, and, but I want to know how things work at a hospital, but you know, is anybody going to let me in? Same with uh, warehouses. So there are different industries. Generally speaking, they won't let somebody off the street, just go, go in and look at their look at their supply closets. Okay. So what I've used ChatGPT for is learning a lot about how hospitals work or um, warehouses or even schools work behind the scenes. And so I will research, uh, for example, I wanted to research um, uh, PA systems in hospitals, overhead paging specifically in hospitals. How does that work? Nobody's going to tell me that. So I went to ChatGPT and I said, hey, how does overhead paging work in hospitals? And it actually helped me understand, okay, well, overhead paging is used in these four ways in hospitals. And then I was able to take the product that I'm marketing and say, does my product do those things and make examples of how my product does those four things. And it could be used in a hospital environment. So if you um, go through right now and do Google search overhead paging in hospitals, you'll see the article that um, I researched through ChatGPT. And then I put in examples of how my product does those things that you need for uh, overhead paging in hospitals. Yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a good point. The way you, you go about researching certain things that you may not be an expert on in that way that helps you create uh, or spits out the information, then you can tailor it to whatever you need you have for your own product to talk about that to your audience. And I also, um, use it a lot for research and actually I use it a lot with my Google analytics and. So what I do is I, I, I identify high performing content on our website and then I copy the the URL of the content and I asked JetGPT um, to help me understand who this 
particular um, article resonates with. So that's my problem. Who does this particular, um, who does the following uh, article resonate with? And I plug in the um, the URL of it and a jet GPT reads it in the background and then it tells me who is it related to or who, who relates with it. And then I ask it, what other content uh, would be of interest to the people who like this article so I can build up my content strategy and build off on what works um, in the process as I, you know, build up my, my, my content uh, page. Caroline, I think your example should give hope to any um, search engine optimizer who's, who's listening right now because obviously there's a lot of uh, potential challenges to SEO going forward as a result of these, these tools. But, you know, your example there is like you've created this piece of web content that is found in Google as a result of using AI to, to create it. And, you know, rather than replacing it, what I think some people were thinking, um, you know, you, you kind of outline a case there. You can definitely use this tool to enhance your, your creation progress process and get a result off the back of it. Um, I don't know if anyone else has tried these tools recently, but looking at the research angle, um, Bing has made public now um, accessible its, its chat tool. Um, so it lives in your search results. And when you, you type in your, your query, like so I'm a student looking for a local degree to fit all these kind of crazy requirements, it will then create a piece of personalized content in search, but it does source where those, um, citations come from or how it's come to that decision. So it's not like it totally cuts off, um, SEO, but I guess it's something to, to be mindful of is that, yes, we still have people going through the traditional sort of search methods, but there are this, this movement now of actually creating that content 100% personalized, dynamically generated in search as well. So, you know, research could change over the next year, quite a lot. And for universities, we've, what do we normally have organic traffic in unis between 35 to 60% acquisition, isn't it? Um, you know, this potentially could cut into that. So there's, there's lots of different arguments floating around, but it's, it's quite a, an interesting time. There's definitely some sort of transitioning happening, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I think to build on that, one thing that I would encourage you as you are playing with research is to make sure that you have it cite the sources. Um, and so many times I will ask it a question and then ask it to give me reference to that. So an example recently is I had a, um, there's two examples. One, I was working with a university that had a, a, a president who, or the chancellor who passed away, he was quite prolific in his writings and, and, uh, and, and well-known. And so I was looking for a particular quote that he had said regarding the next future of, you know, coming up. So I, I, I told it what I wanted, a quote from that person. And I said, I needed a reference on that. And it was able to find that quote that was perfect for, you know, announcement from the, the president from a press release to reference this passing chancellor using that quote based on his writings, it would have taken forever to have Smart. somebody find that yeah. out. Another example was I have another school that has a, another famous writer uh, who's connected to the school. And so um, I wanted to be able to highlight something on the, on the homepage about, it's a faith-based school. And so this writer is a, an author that talks a lot about, you know, he has, you know, hundreds of books about this. And uh, I needed one that talked about adventure. I wanted a quote that referenced adventure because the theme of the website was about utilizing the school and part of their part of their enrollment marketing was about adventure. 
And, you know, within three seconds, I found the quote and the reference from the book that it was in. And I was able to use that in one of the mock-ups that we did. And so, again, being able to find those perfect quotes, those perfect elements, being able to prompt it in such a way with the references, I think is going to be one of the ways that research is going to be really important. Would you agree that it's a good way to fill the gaps? That's the way I kind of use it. Like you have um, a rough outline or an approach or an idea, like that's the human stuff, right? The, the strategy and the approach. And then I guess like bricks and a wall or cement, I don't know where you want to look at it, but it's, yeah, I think it can, it's very good at filling the gaps and being almost invisible. Cause I've certainly written like copy in the past and I pulled in like a definition or something. And you, you can't detect that if it's embedded within creative work. It's when you generate something from scratch, just own the AI, it's quite noticeable. But yeah, I think filling the gaps might be a good way of considering how to use these tools. I think it's also worth noting that, um, and I saw a couple of questions that are coming across as well, that, you know, chat GPT's information is not 100% correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why yeah. I always ask for some kind of uh, reference mm -hmm. and, and uh, cite, citation. But I also think you have to remember that at least chat GPT 3.5 is limited to information prior to 2021. And so the, a lot of these generative models, and, and maybe Carolyn can talk more about that, but they only go up to a certain point. So there's plugins that you can get to put in and, and reference web and different things like that. But be careful when you're doing you know, research that's going to be timely that might have happened in the last two and a half, three years. I don't know about four, if, if four is more relevant. Those will change. I, I'm sure that within the next few months that's going to that that issue is going to go away but you're going to you're going to need to just kind of be aware that if you're asking it for your references and things like that you're, you're going to have to probably do a little bit of fact checking on yourself just to make sure it's accurate yeah 100 percent. and i want to encourage everybody to drop those questions into the q a section of this webinar because we'll have a q a um after we go through our pillar questions is it still true that if you use the free version, you have access to 3.5, but in order to get access to four, then you have to have the paid membership, which I think is around $20 per month. Yeah, that's correct. The difference between the two is noticeable. It's, it's worth the money if you're planning to use this as part of your workflow. Um, just as another caveat about accuracy or non-accuracy, um, I you know, some of the information, it does, there's a lot of disclaimers on there. Hey, you know, might not be accurate. You know, I've seen a lot of inaccurate stuff and I think it doesn't replace doing, you know, a little bit of fact checking on your own somewhere else as well. So um, I had one of the um, research articles I was working on. It came back as very biased in a certain political way. And I looked at it and I was like, well, I can't publish this. I can't, I can't, I can't use this at all. It's, I mean, so it, there is this, it's depending on what's out there in, or, you know, as of two years ago, what's out there as well. So yeah, I definitely want to be very, um, do your own citations or do, do your own checking or ask it in a different way and see how it comes out. So there is some, there's a lot of finesse nuances and, you know, as we keep on harping on, okay, the, this is how you prompt it. You know, you've got to work on, there's a lot of trial and error on how you prompt it. You need to be careful with the, um, the, the training data as well. I mean, I've seen quite a few articles, um, a lot of them coming from the Wall Street Journal, actually, about the, the actual sets of data these things are trained on. And, you know, I think there's one one by Google that's had 200 instances of copyrighted material, um, hateful content, racist content in in these training sets. 
And I, I really, I really feel we, we, we need to be careful because when, when we are asking a queries of this stuff, these, this is the source material that it's based on a response on. And these things will improve over time, but we're in the wild west at the moment. It's really early days. I, I think we need to be astute in the, the stuff that it's uh, be, being produced for us. Yep. Again, it's a draft. So yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> And that's another flaw on the panel. We're saying, you know, we use it for research. It's not the end all be all replacing. It's not going to replace my job anytime soon. Well, at least I hope not. So. so it sounds like it is up to the author, but chat GPT is the most powerful assistant one can have. And it's still as much more advantageous to lean in and utilize it. We just need to be aware of what we put out there as a result. Somebody just posted, can you share some resources or information about the resources it's trained on? I don't know about you guys, but I think it's just trained on everything that is on the internet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's anything publicly available on the internet is what it gets trained on. And that's what the challenge is, is, is that it's everything. And so that's where it has no wisdom. It just pulls everything. It's so, a, it's a merciless mirror to humanity. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I think one of the phenomenons that is amazing to people that are paying attention is the how quickly this has been adopted by our world. So if you would, Chris, could you speak on how has ChatGPT been adopted by marketers and what factors have contributed to this rapid, I don't yeah. know how else to say it, it's just uh, taken our world by storm. Yeah, it, it has spread like wildfire since its release in November 2022, which was about six months ago. And they, GPT reached about 100 million active users in two two months and is currently at 1.16 billion active users. And just to compare that to some other uh, technologically uh, te technology that they came out over the recent years, the internet, for example, which was released in 1993, it took seven years to get to 100 million users. And Facebook, you know, everybody used Facebook, which was released in 2004, took four and a half years to get to 100 million users. And our beloved iPhone, which was released in 2007, took three and a half years to reach 100 million um, users, right? So JetGPT within two months, 100 million users is pretty significant and should not be ignored. And that also reminded me of the what I've learned during uh, an entrepreneurial class uh, at the university once, uh, the diffusion of innovation theory by E.M. Rogers, uh, which a lot of you heard of that before, which basically describes the pattern of speed at which new ideas or products spread through the population, right? So usually they are the innovators, the first 2.5% that are the the ones that that wait in line for an iPhone for three days to get it. They want this thing. They want to run with it. And then the early adopters, which are 13.5%. And those are followed by the early majority and late majority, which are around 34% of the population. And then the laggards, which are 16%. Those are the ones stuck in their ways. They use fax to this day instead of email to communicate. But with the, with the law of diffusion, it, it tells us that if a product wants to make mass market acceptance or reach a mass market acceptance, it has to cross this tipping point, uh, also called a chasm, which is between um, the early adopters and the early majorities, which you have to reach about 15 to 18% uh, to gain market penetration. And if we take the current internet users, which are approximately 5.16 billion users, and compare it to the 
current Jet GPT users, 1.16 billion users. That means that around 22% of current internet users already use Jet GPT, which tells me that they crossed the chasm like within six months and have penetrated the market and is well on its way to become mainstream now. In my opinion, that's remarkable. Like no other technological advanced uh, thing has done that before. Um, and I'm saying that JetGPT is here to stay and it's well on its way to, you know, to, to take over. So I would say everybody on this call, just embrace it, learn it, run with it and, and become the expert before the train leaves the station and you have to chase after it. The thing that got me, and by the way, I'm just going to congratulate you there. That was some super maths. <laughs> you, you spent some time there. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Um, the thing that got me with this, and yeah, it's totally adopted. It's well into the mainstream. Um, I thought it would just end up being a back-end technology and built into existing infrastructure. So it would appear in like social media as a, an assistant or a different app as an assistant or some way to power a platform differently. But it's become a destination, right? Um, people are going to it like it's a social platform or some sort of web platform to get things done. And this solidified for me when I watched, um, and I'm, I'm sure some of us here watched it as well, um, when the founder of OpenAI did his TED talk, he showed you what you could achieve through this single interface. So he asked it to produce um, the uh, ideas for a meal. So it produces that. It produces an image for the meal, all in the same window. Then it creates a shopping list for what is required to create the meal again in the same app. And then finally, he posts it to Twitter all through that one screen. So normally you've got seven different windows open to do that, seven different apps, but he's just achieved it through one interface. And I, I look at this and think it's like the advent of mobile. It's like the advent of the internet. It's even like, um, you know, when we first got guided user interfaces, like clicking icons on the screen, it's a complete change to how we interact with digital tools. I haven't seen that before, not in my professional career and i think it's it can be kind of reduced down to something quite trivial but actually to see that happen is is incredible um and usually when there's an interface in, interface change there's like a huge well people get rich <laughs> or, or certain directions happen right we've seen it with the iphone when it, we went mobile first and i think we're going to see something very similar with this this technology if we continue going uh, along this this track so yeah um you, your figures are bang on and it's it's a it's a storm and i think it's here to stay yeah it does seem like it's turning into more of a utility or a, a platform as opposed to you know the old microsoft clippy where you know it was just a little I love clippy i know clippy was kind of cool <laughs> but i i do think that you're going to see just as i mean with ChatGPT and OpenAI releasing their their uh, plugins a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden, it seems like you know every day I'm seeing another AI empowered tool that on the back end, you know whether it's now integrated into Google Sheets and Google Docs, or if you can, you know all these different tools that it's going to start becoming a part of. It it is going to be more like just the infrastructure of electricity getting wired yeah. to your house now, yeah. as opposed to having to go someplace to get what you need. I mean, you're going to go one place, but it's just going to run everything. I mean, like you said, whether it's a meal planning with recipes and shopping lists and posting it to Twitter or actually, you know, to Carolyn's point earlier about her app, the home app, being able to integrate that with it and make smart decisions about 
what's going on, even if you're not home and on vacation, that things can, can automate. So I, I just wanted to, we had talked before this, and I just wanted to point out as the electrical engineer on this call, um, AI has existed since the 1950s. Okay. We, we, we've been waiting for chat GPT forever. And, um, but the, the, the difference is, is chat GPT is just a lot different from the previous AIs that we saw. So for example, um, when Alexa came out, the Amazon Alexa, that speaker thing came out, it was supposed to be like this game changer thing. I, it hasn't changed anything for me really, other than I can turn on my lights and by saying Alexa, turn on my lights. So um, it's, it was coding on Alexa or working with Alexa, which I did um, back in 2018 or so, 2019 or so. It basically, I would code it to basically recurgitate back what I told it. So it was, I basically coded to when I say this, you do that. And it wasn't, it wasn't intelligent, it, but it was what AI was back in 2018, 2019. Um, it didn't pull from different sources. It, you just had to put in the information and just regurgitated it back down to you. That's the difference. And that's why ChatGPT is a watershed versus an Alexa. I wish we had a poll on this, but I wonder how many people get more frustrated with Alexa now than they did prior to the launch of ChatGPT because I, I have no patience for it. If it can't answer my really complicated query, I'm I'm off, you know? <laughs> so yeah, um, I, Amazon really dropped the ball on this one. I thought they would have uh, been a competitor, but clearly not. So it sounds like that if you haven't adopted it yet, you should, because if not, you're going to be left behind because the world is bringing it into their lives very quickly. I also want to remind everyone that Hen and Hill brought us together for a reason, and that's because we love sharing and talking about chat, GPT, and AI. So please take a look at our names, and you can link to us on LinkedIn. And at the end of our time today, we'll put up the contact information for everyone. And we all invite you to connect with us because we just love talking about this. Bard, I know you the best on this, and I love being able to give you this question because I know you could probably take two hours and offer many answers to it, but please offer some tips and hacks that you've discovered around AI and chat GPT that our marketers can use effectively within higher ed. Yeah, you'll, you'll be surprised how much you can do. I, and, and again, it goes back to just playing around, um, you know, early in the March madness, a couple of months ago, I was, um, you know, watching basketball on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, needed to kind of come up with some ideas for marketing ideas. And so I started prompting chat GPT and, and this was a very specific faith-based school. And, and one of the ways faith-based schools, uh, their audiences, I always look for where's the watering holes for the audiences. And, and a lot of times they're in, in local churches. And so I just asked chat GPT, give me five ideas for, you know, reaching out through marketing to, you know, build relationships with local influencers and churches. It gave me five ideas. I said, this is good. Give me five more. And at the end of two hours, at the end of the basketball game, I had 40 pages of content that had everything oriented by traditional undergrad, graduate school, online students, uh, you know, all kinds of information that I basically have turned into kind of a onboarding document that, you know, when I'm meeting with certain types of schools, here are some ideas, what might work in your, in your particular in, uh, institution. And so it, I find it, you know, good for generating ideas, 
good for generating drafts. It, it becomes a, a virtual assistant, a tool for me. Um, you know, I've, I've played around with Midjourney and, and Dolly as far as generating some, some images and some, um, you know, just, just trying to figure out, you know, some creative ways of, of leveraging it through that way. Um, also, I think just the idea of, of being able to kind of look at it when you're kind of stumped on something and saying, as Carolyn indicated earlier, rewrite this for this particular audience. Or, you know, sometimes if I need to copy fit something, I, I did a newspaper recently and I, you know, I was probably, you know, 60 words over where the columns would fit. And I didn't want to reduce the content. I didn't want to do the old trick of tightening up the kerning. And so I said, rewrite this article to 387 words. And it was able to do that. And so it's it's things like that that are hacks that I've been using uh, ChatGPT for. And again, I, I keep going back to, I look for it to save me time so that I can focus my efforts on relationships, on things that only I can do as a human that require wisdom and 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 other thoughts. And But when it comes to just being able to get down and, and getting some drafts and getting some assistance, that's what I'm using the hacks for. Yeah. Um, somebody here told me earlier about sometimes um, your content creator, you ask somebody in your institution that has a higher you know, educational level than, than others and their content that they give you is um, possibly on a reading level that's above your audiences. And I actually sat down with my CEO, Kat Lingen. She's here. Shout out to Kat uh, yesterday to play around with JetGPT. And we did a copy of an excerpt of our academic paper. And we asked JetGPT to identify the reading level of this of this particular piece. And then we asked JetGPT to write it uh, to a sixth grade reading level, for example, in order to... Um, I don't want to say dumb it down, but make it more uh, digestible for our target audiences, you know, who are, let's say, traditional students who don't have the um, academic background as a PhD level person who wrote a particular piece. That's how I use it. Of course, I used it for the uh, JetGPT webinar announcement to help me write out that um, announcement piece and um, social media ads, cold emails. Um, and website personalization, of course. Um, you know, you. I always use it for uh, persona building. So it doesn't matter really what industry you're in. You all marketers here, you know your target audiences, you know your personas, but you can always ask JetGPT to give you, um, in, uh, you know, build out a persona for a particular, let's say it's an adult learner who wants to go into college and finish their degree. You may have an idea what they what the persona looks like and what they're interested in, but JetGPT may spit out some other information that you may have not thought about, and then you can build out your content uh, in a in a way that's relevant to your target audience that you may have not thought about. One of the biggest hacks for me, um, it has to be telling ChatGPT what it gets wrong. Um, when I look on LinkedIn, how people responding, um, one of the the groups who I think fear is the wrong word, but are um, most concerned about ChatGPT or engage with it are, are copywriters. And you know, there's a range. There's usually a copywriter who's kind of leaned into it, and then there's the other set who are perhaps a little more cautious around it. And some of the examples I've seen um, is usually like there's the authors put in like one line of text and then showed, showed the results and the results awful. And he goes, oh, I'll never replace a human. Well, 
I'm trying to think in our in our day to day lives when we're we're briefing clients or agencies. If you gave an agency a one line brief, of course the output's going to be pretty terrible. I mean, but if I went to you with like one line of copy and say don't do this, you immediately come back to me and go, actually, can we have a conversation? Can we flesh out what is required? Right. It's the same with with an AI and. If it gets it wrong, you tell it, well, okay, you went wrong here. Can you improve it? It's a back and forth process. It's a conversation. It's it's never a case of just like a single prompt and getting things done that way. So as soon as I start thinking about it more like that, I, that's when the the good results or the better results uh, start coming out of, the, out of the system. So yeah, work with it like you would an assistant. And I think sometimes to answer one of the questions that's outstanding right now is that you have to do that several times. I mean, some of my, mm. some of my chat, you know, back and forth, I mean, I might go back 15 times to say, improve this, change this, edit this, as long as you're staying within the one thread of, of the, uh, of, of the chat GPT, the open AI interface, it will remember everything within that thread. And so you can, you can go back even, you know, days later and be able to keep, pick up the conversation where you were to kind of continue to train it on what you are specifically looking for. And, uh, and, and a lot of times the best practices is start, start the prompt with act as if you are a higher ed marketing yeah. expert or act as if you are an electrical engineer. Starting with that to give it some persona will oftentimes generate better results. Yeah, you need to tell it what part you want it to play. It's a performer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, was, I was a good, not for me as well. I just thought of myself as like a, like a theater director and on the stage, it's like the actors and the performers and they're very talented. They've got a lot of knowledge, but until you give them direction, they, they don't know what to do, right? It's, it's, it's the same with this technology. So yeah, yeah, conversation all the way. Yeah. And you can teach it to, uh, adapt or get close to your writing style. Let's say you have an article you've written, a, uh, an email, a social media post, you can upload that in a jet GPT, ask it to read it, and then ask it to write a particular blog post or announcement in the in the writing style that you just uh, fed it and ask it to learn. Um, I was, I, I saw this, uh, a, a chat on Facebook the other day. Um, somebody said that they were, you know, in a marketing organization and their website needed to be updated and they're a U.S. company, they're marketing to Americans, U.S. people. And they said that some of the copy on the website had been written by non uh, native English speakers uh, from outside of the U.S. and they wanted to get the content more, you know, like what you would expect to see from a U.S. company. And so I suggested, hey, just run it through ChatGPT and say, hey, you know, rewrite this for a U.S. audience. And um, and and actually, some people got mad at me for saying that <laughs> because um, there were people on the on the discussion who do copywriting for a living, and they wanted uh, they were hoping to get paid to do this, but you know, wouldn't it be better to not necessarily do this yourself, but perhaps in the future, you know, hire somebody who's, who is good at chat GPT, who can do this in half the time for half the cost and be able to, you know, do it quicker, faster, cheaper for you. And then I think that's how you're going to see kind of jobs kind of evolve with this mm -hmm. chat GPT. Yeah. I know that's been kind of the buzz phrases, prompt engineer, the idea that somebody who understands how to write the prompts and understands how to get the most out of these these generative AI tools is going to be a skill set that you know I, I was I'm on the marketing advisory board for a for a marketing program out west and uh, you know we met with the faculty and met with several other business leaders and they were asking you know what what should we be teaching our students and 
we went off in little subgroups and, and one of the other business owners and I kind of joked about chat GPT and he's like, yeah, if I could have a graduate right now that understood how to do that, I'd hire them in a heartbeat. And, you know, I can, they can, they have a leg up on that. And, you know, I tentatively went back to the professors and said, yeah, this is what we think. And <laughs> all the other business leaders said, yes. And yeah, we're using it already in our businesses. We need students that understand it, who haven't been, you know, their hands haven't been slapped by it, that they actually are learning how to use a tool. Um, and again, it's, it's not going to replace anybody anytime soon, but it's going to be a skill set that we all need to have. We are at about uh, 10 before the top of the hour. I would like to prompt all of our listeners, all of our attendees, if you have a question to please put it in at this time, and we'll get to them as quickly as we can. As we're waiting for those questions to come in, well, we do have one. And it says that Bart is going to, is typing an answer to it. Bart, if you wouldn't mind, just- I, I haven't typed just it yet. Just running through chat Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was copying and pasting. Right no, um, <laughs> please read it and answer it. Uh, the question is, if someone tries to correct the info ChatGPT tells you, does ChatGPT automatically assume the info you tell it is correct? And then does it take that new correction into account when it providing information to someone else? If so, would this be a vulnerability in its intelligence? And that's a great question. Um, when I chat with GPT, um, it is only my conversation with it. So the overall structure of, of the OpenAI system is not affected by input that I'm doing with it live or, or anyone else's. It's only going to be relevant to that conversation that I have with it. There are things built into OpenAI's system that if I give it poor information or ask it to do something that is outside the bounds of what is within their, you know, their, their ethical structure that they've built, it will tell you that. It will say, I'm sorry, I can't do that because of my, you know, my, the rules around this. Now, as far as if I give it incorrect information, will it continue down that path with me? I'm not sure. I've not, I've not tested that out yet, but, um, but I think that, um, I, 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 I think that's a great question. So. Next question is, how would you put ChatGPT knowledge and experience into a resume? I mean, just like anything else, really. I mean, the experience, the projects that you've used it with, um, portfolios, examples, um, maybe even get ChatGPT to write your resume for you. I mean, that is an option too. But yeah, I, I just think it's just like any other skill, really. And how do you prove any other skill? You, you show like, examples of that, don't you? I, yeah, I, I don't think it needs to be that complicated. Yeah, and you can even copy and paste the job description into Jet uh, GPT and ask it to write to you. Um, yeah, well, give me an example of what I need to yeah. do, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that whole um, recruitment industry is uh, probably under threat by, by this. Uh, the, the amount of like perfectly tailored application letters now is, is going to be crazy. I just thought of that now off the back of that. So I, I want to go back to the previous question about if does ChatGPT believe you or you know is it does it take you as fact? So there have been I haven't personally known an, an example of this myself, but I've seen this in the news several times where people using ChatGPT accidentally put in proprietary information. So a, an example of that would be let's say I'm a recruiter or I'm a you know I'm I'm going to offer somebody a job. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to ask ChatGPT, hey, write an offer letter, you know, to the person for this position. I might accidentally put on there what position is, what company is and how much it pays per year. Does ChatGPT take that information? And now they know 
if you work at this company at this level, you're going to make this kind of money and then put that into their database and use it somewhere else where, you know, I'm, you know, somebody else down the line unknowingly says, you know, so how, what's the average salary of a project manager? Uh, so, you know, that's another, you know, warning about chat GPT is don't put in personal information or information you wouldn't want getting out. Cause we don't, I don't know that. I don't know. It's not going to use it uh, with somebody else for something else um, too. I mean, I don't, again, I don't, I don't know the direct answer, but I, I think there's, there's a lot of concern around that. The EU is working on this AI act and it's directly like attacking that, uh, that, that issue. Um, no one knows what's going on with that data behind the scenes. And there's a potential that how many, how many users was it, Chris? At 1.6 billion users, you know, we're all training this thing for free. Some of us <laughs> are paying, but yeah, we're training this thing for free. We're giving it all this information about ourselves. And let's, let's also be honest, some people are using it as a personal therapist. Like what's, what's happening to that personal information that, you know, when you think about the ramifications of that and there's no grand act in place to help us steer a course through that. There's also the issues of copyright. Um, there was a case in the US recently, uh, a graphic novel couldn't be copyrighted because its images were generated by mid journey. Um, and the, and the ruling was, and unless there's some significant element of human creativity or editing of those images, it, it can't be copyrighted. So does that mean that the work that we create for our brands cannot be, cannot be copyrighted further down the line? So again, there's no answer to these things, but they're all issues that will be debated well and they are being debated just uh, right now but i think we'll start to get a few more sort of uh, uh answers probably in the next six months but yeah there's a lot of stuff that needs to be set at the moment thank you does chat gpt start to tailor its responses to you over time i think we're going over this but yeah as long as you keep it in one thread you can you can keep it tailored toward that thread. And I've actually seen some people who actually go through and, and each thread is labeled as higher ed marketer, lawyer, you know, whatever prompt you've asked it to do, they just keep going back to that thread to stay within that conversation. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the way I think it's been used. This is labeled as a comment. In my experience, ChatGPT will attempt to include the facts when responding, but will continue to reference its larger data set. Example, claiming it is now the year 2109 and humans are using time travel for vacations. Again, it's pulling data from the mass of humanity. So, you know, that's why it's a tool. You got to check everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's worldwide. I mean, it's the Wild West. Where do you see the biggest pitfall of an institution in higher ed marketing not taking advantage of chat GPT? scale and speed i think um i mean look at the i'm, I'm trying to think of like a higher ed example i guess if you needed to create a new website for a faculty or a project think of how long you normally have to take to create content for each of those pages and things i i, I think something like chat gpt could just accelerate that process by a factor of 10. i've even seen apps using the, the same sort of um large language models to, to power and creator content. There's, there's an app called supercreator.ai and it can help you just by putting in like the topic you want to speak about, it can then generate scripts for 10 videos. It generates the backgrounds in those videos and you can talk to camera and create this stuff at scale and at speed. And sure, you're not like a creator like Mr. Beast, but we don't all need that sort of output, do we? Sometimes you just need a video on a topic that's personable, it's you, you doing it. 
AI can help you do that. So scale and speed are the, the key words here for me. I think you're going to start seeing more schools that are utilizing AI to basically create hyper-personalized content for students. And so being able to imagine, you know, being able to take your database and the students have indicated the, you know, the, the programs they're interested in, they have some other information. I mean, we all have a lot of information on the students, being able to run that through and actually generate personalized emails that talk to them as if they were individually written by each counselor, you know, at the top of the funnel, if you've got 50,000 students in your, in your prospect list, imagine sending out 50,000 personalized emails. That's more than just, you know, your name here type of thing. So I think somebody's going to start doing that very soon. I anticipate even this fall, you're going to start seeing content going out from some schools that are doing that. I mean, I'm already seeing it coming through, uh, in sales emails to me, yep. frighteningly, um, good actually. Yeah. I did my first website in 1994 and, you know, my first higher ed website was in 1997. And so I'm an old man, but I remember it was the same exact thing. I would talk to schools and they'd be like, why in the world would we want to be on the internet? I mean, there's just no reason why we would need to be on the World Wide web. The information superhighway is not for higher education. Well, you know, look 25 years later. And, and so th that's where we're going to see it in 25 years. People are going to say, I can't imagine that we ever thought that we were going to run a university without, you know, generative AI. What, what was that all about? I, I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Barb, to your point, and I know that you've experimented with that personalization at scale, you're utilizing plugins to help your chat GPT connect with Google Sheets. And we haven't really talked about the plugins, but that enhances your experience and your ability tenfold. So it's not just the AI but also the plugins that are available. And right. that's increasing by hundreds every day. Yeah, I just uh, saw a, a video the other day that there's a new, I signed up for the wait list. I'm not on it yet, but OpenAI has, up, has released a, you can upload a, a uh, you could upload an Excel CSV file. And you can basically say, I want you to analyze this and give me these types of res results back. And so imagine if you've got, you know, 50,000 of your alumni in there and you want to start asking questions about, tell me about what years these majors were the most prevalent in so that I can put together a donation email about this engineering program that we're going to do to, for the part of our capital campaign. You know, that, that type of, you know, being able to get that result in five seconds is a whole lot different than going to your institutional, you know, research group and asking that and getting it a month later. So we should make a point as well as to say, uh, most people on the call, cause you work for universities, I imagine you're on the Microsoft suite, Microsoft uh, rolled out Copilot into all of their apps. And if you're using the latest version of office 365, um, you can go into Excel and have a chat with it. You can go into PowerPoint and drop a word doc into it and it'll turn it into a beautiful presentation for you in, in a matter of seconds. And this is all the same sort of technology that's running in, in the background. So these tools are already at your, at your fingertips. And as long as you've got the latest version of that software, you could, you know, go and use them right now. Very good. Chris, do you have any thoughts or final things you would like to share on behalf of Hannon Hill before we sign out? 
Sure. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining, being part of this discussion. I'm really grateful to all the speakers, Kyle, Troy, Caroline, and Bart, to share your your, your knowledge. You're all big um, marketers in the iron industry, and I just thank you for your time and being part of this Hand and Hill uh, webinar series. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, been great. Thank you.